This is the EdSurge podcast for the week of April 27th to May 1st. We bring you the EdTech leading news and opinion that you love from EdSurge, but on the go. Each week on the show, we bring you the top stories from EdSurge News. It's all geared towards educators, entrepreneurs, and investors, and all right on your favorite device. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast. I'm Michael Winters. And I am Mary Jo Matta. Michael, did you know that May is uh, National Teacher Appreciation Month? Uh, uh, no, I, I didn't know that, but I'm glad you told me. I'm glad you know now. And for the last few days, I've actually been tracking tweets and articles announcing the upcoming month. And I've picked up on some stories that have really stuck with me. Like what? Well, I'm thinking in particular of Crystal Harden-Lindsay, and she's a West Baltimore principal who's been coaching her kids to make sense of what's been going on in Baltimore right now. I got to say, major kudos to you, Crystal. We need more administrators like you. Thank you, Crystal. Uh, MJ, you probably have a favorite teacher. I know uh, my all-time favorite teacher was Mrs. Gail Philantris, who Mm. taught me English and math in fourth and fifth grade. She was the hardest and therefore the best teacher that I ever had. Uh, (laughs) I think we share that in common because (laughs) when I was in high school, uh, Mrs. Amy Amy Lebenzon was literally the hardest advanced placement teacher around, but man, I was an expert at European history by the time I left her classroom. Tell me everything you know about the Thirty Years' War. Ah, uh, so it's been a while since I was in AP Europe. Right, maybe that'll be another podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm, good idea. <laughs> but listeners, if you have a favorite teacher, we encourage you to send them a note thanking them for what they do every day. And trust us, uh, those words mean a lot. They absolutely do, Michael. You're correct. And with that, let's get to this week's news. First of all, congratulations to all of the high school seniors counting down the days until they head to college in the fall, especially if you're going to the University of Virginia, Wahoo Wah. Uh-huh. But for many of these students, the acceptance letter marks the start of a whole new set of questions. How much will college actually cost? How does financial aid work anyway? We took a look at EdTech tools that help students and parents navigate the maze through paying for college, from RaiseMe, which offers micro-scholarships to high school students for achievements like learning to code, to WeFinance, which helps recent college graduates crowdfund loans. You can check out everything on edsurge.com. Japan is often portrayed as a technophile's paradise straight out of the future, but in many classrooms there, educators, believe it or not, prefer to use the chalkboard. Bradley Ermerling from Pearson writes this week about how effective the old-fashioned tool really is and encourages American educators to use all classroom tools, whether technological or not, with the same rigorous standards of effectiveness that you see with Japanese classrooms. Big news in the publishing market this week, Scholastic will sell its education and technology service business to Houghton Mifflin for $575 million in cash. But the publisher of titles, including Harry Potter, isn't getting out of the ed tech service business altogether. According to CEO Richard Robinson, Scholastic is selling its tools that require longer lead times for selling and larger investments in product development. Artists like Picasso would have absolutely loved this next piece of news. This week, EdSurge columnist Patricia Brown stopped by to share just how educators can spruce up a school art show, or really any classroom for that matter, with QR codes and augmented reality. Brown details how her students use tools like Erasma and Vocaroo to analyze and reflect on works they've both created and see at an art show. Ready for that cash register sound? Yes, it's time for ka-chings. 
Ray's Lab has raised $4.5 million in a Series A round led by Owl Ventures in order to help high school students to earn micro-scholarships for college. Employee training software program MediaPro has also raised $5 million in a round led by Clovis Point Capital. So as you can see, it has been a busy week in the world of EdTech news. We report on a lot of EdTech companies here at EdSurge, and we try our best to report the facts. And recently, there have been a lot of rumors swirling about one particular EdTech company. I'm guessing that's Amplify. You got it, Mary Jo. It's Amplify. So this week, Tony Wan, our our managing editor, dug into Amplify and tried to figure out what's exactly happening over there. Amplify is one of the most scrutinized companies in EdTech, and only partly because its parent company is Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. News Corp acquired a company called Wireless Generation in 2010 for $390 million dollars. That deal became the cornerstone for Amplify, and News Corp boldly promised to usher in a digital revolution in schools. Since then, to support that mission, estimates are that News Corp has invested about $1 billion to build out Amplify. But the thing is, is that Amplify's actually had a fair number of bumps along the way. So take, for example, back in 2013, the Guilford County School District in North Carolina definitely made some headlines when they halted a giant 15,000 device rollout in early October. And those were due to concerns about safety and durability. And that was due to concerns about safety and durability. Of those 15,000 Amplify tablets, 1,500 had cracked screens within a month of school, and one charger actually melted when a student plugged it in at home. So this week, we delved into what's been happening behind Amplify's closed doors and asked about Amplify's most recent challenge. Can it bring together its various divisions and products to incur more revenue and improve its reputation? And to help us out, we've got the writer himself here, Tony Wan, to share his insights into Amplify's efforts. Tony, welcome. Hi, Mary Jo. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. For those of you that don't know, Tony Wan is our fearless leader, our managing editor. And he wrote this article, so he knows a heck of a lot about what's going on behind closed doors and what CEO Joel Klein is thinking. So before we go into that, let's actually just talk about who Amplify is. So Tony... Who is this company that everyone's talking about? So the first thing that people should know um, is that they are more than the tablets. I know you talked about tablets earlier, but in reality, Amplify is a collection of hardware, software, print, and professional development and consulting services. And a lot of this uh, motley of products and product lines is uh, inherited from their wireless generation acquisition in 2010. So I know that most people, when they think of Amplify, they see those orange tablets, but they have a lot of other product and division lines that kind of get overshadowed by all of the attention on the tablets. So what it sounds like is that Amplify actually has a lot of different efforts they're they're putting money and time into. Is that right? Yeah. So in addition to the tablet, which makes up one of the divisions, they have two other divisions. One focuses on the assessments, and most of the assessments tools are ones that are inherited from wireless generation. Now they have another division that's responsible for content and curriculum. And um, both the content division and the tablet divisions are fairly new. So their assessment division is actually the most mature of what they offer. And so with all these different divisions, I'm sure one can imagine that it is a little bit overwhelming leading a team of people that have all these different insights into their respective products. So you actually came into contact with some memos from Amplify's internal communication that spoke a little bit to these different groups. And I'm curious, what exactly did CEO Joel Klein express in those memos? 
Well, he recognized the need to really find ways to integrate all of these different product lines together. Because Amplify, they, they have math curriculum and they have math assessments. And one of the things that he's wondering is, wouldn't it make sense if the content that we produce and the assessments that we inherited from Wireless Generation actually spoke to each other? So one of the things that he's exploring is to find ways for teams from different divisions, from the content division and from the assessment division, to try to find ways to work together to build a more integrated product. But just from your own you know, sort of personal expertise and probably reading what these memos had to say. How do you think Amplify is actually going to be able to achieve that? Well, one of the things they're doing is they need to find a way to really streamline the technical uh, side of the product development. And it's a challenge, right? Because while this generation, their tools were built several years ago, mm-hmm. if not almost a decade ago. Um, and to find ways to integrate that with products that are new, the curriculum products that are new and recently developed, right? You're working with different code bases and different code processes, different uh, development processes. And you really need to find, I think one of the challenges will be to find a common denominator for how they operate when it comes to developing their product. Some of it involves streamlining their different divisions that they've set up, because previously they've set up their curriculum, assessment, and tablet divisions to operate fairly autonomously from one from each other. Mm -hmm. And at the point, it made sense because these are very different products that require different product development and different marketing efforts. Mm -hmm. So now they're trying to break down the silos a little bit and see if there are ways for these divisions to cooperate um, and collaborate. And there have been positives, right? Like you wrote about how Amplify's learning games, for example, have gotten some positive reviews. And then, of course, like you just mentioned, you know, wireless generation had its heyday in the assessment category. Mm -hmm. So I I guess my last question for you is going forward, you know, where do you think um, Amplify could could really create a business that could rival, you know, the the businesses that Google and Microsoft and um, Apple have produced in terms of creating products that are used by educators far and wide? Well, I think the uh, the thing that people need to realize is, yes, they've had the trouble with the tablet, but that those troubles kind of overshadow the fact that their individual teams, these different divisions, are capable of putting out uh, great content. I think the digital games, some of which I've played, are an example of the fact that these uh, this company has the talent and resources to create very high quality and compelling products. Um, but in order to f- you know, for the company to find its brand and identity, it needs to find a way to really weave in, you know, all these the motley of different hardware and software products mm-hmm. that it offering that that it currently offers, because it's uh, I don't know I, I I feel like Amplify you know Joe Clan has described it as a startup, and even though they have. A, know, lot a lot of money. <laughs> and a lot right? of employees. They got a lot of money, a lot of employees. They're still, you know, struggling to kind of find their position in the education marketplace. Mm-hmm. Who are they going to be defined by? If not the tablets, then then what? Would it be the assessments, which they've kind of relied on and which make up the most, uh, you know, the majority of their business? That's really where they started. That's where they started. And that's kind of the probably the most stable part of their business right now and most successful part. They've been able to win multi-million dollar contracts, uh, statewide contracts. So, I don't know. I mean, it'd be inter- it, will, it will be interesting to see how this, uh, how, how this um, you know, follows through and shakes up in the, in the months to come. Let me ask you one last question. If you were an educator or an administrator, would you put money into buying Amplify products as it is now? As it is now? I mean, it would, de- uh, it would depend on what products you're talking about. Okay. Right. Um, they're... 
curriculum product, I feel like is still uh, at a very early young stage. I believe it's still, um, you know, it's being piloted in a number of schools and districts. I would, I would say their assessments, um, I would take a look at those and see how, how, how well they kind of compare and, you know, fit the need that I have because mm -hmm. they're the most established products. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tony. Thanks, Mary Jo. Well, that's all the time we have for today. But before we go, did all of you catch the huge guide on personalized learning that EdSurge put out last week? We wanted to have some fun with it, so we actually designed it with football in mind. Wait, uh, football? That's right, Michael. Uh, similarly to how coaches use playbooks, the guide includes a setup of frameworks and blueprints intended to help educators get personalized learning ready to go, as well as stories about schools that have carried out those plays, from the likes of Riverside, California, to Utah, all the way back up to Detroit. Check it out on edsurge.com guide. All right, and thanks to Carrie Gallagher, Patricia Brown, and all of the other writers who contributed to EdSurge this week. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening and for reading EdSurge. Remember, anywhere you want to get podcasts, you can get this podcast. All right, and that's it for today. I'm Mary Jo Matta. And I'm Michael Winters. Happy Teacher Appreciation Month. We'll see you next week. This is the EdSurge Podcast.